last weekend was, of course, the blizzard, and on Friday, my wife and I had to, we had to go up to Green Bay. We, we didn't have any choice about it, and we have just some phenomenal neighbors, and they knew we were heading up to, heading up to Green Bay, and while all the snow was coming down, we were, we were on the roads, and they actually snowblowed our driveway for us so we could actually get back in the driveway, which was a, just a huge blessing. We live on a, on a hill in our driveway it's, it's not a massive hill, it's just enough to be really annoying and enough of a, a slant and a grade not to have much traction, but we were able to get back in the house and then we just declared we're not going anywhere or doing anything, which was great Friday night. And then Saturday the plows came through and I'm like, all right, I've got to go get the driveway now. And I took the snowblower out. And I'm, I'm running the snowblower, and the wind is just whipping in my face, and I'm already annoyed because I can't find my ski mask that looks like I'm about to go rob a bank. Uh, but that's, that's what I wanted, and I couldn't find that. So I've just got a hat on, and the snow that I'm shooting up is just coming back and whipping me right in the face. And so I go and I ring the doorbell because there are three Pursley family members in a warm house not having the snow whip them in the face at this exact second. And I ring the doorbell to ask if anyone knows where my ski mask is or if there's any way I could get a scarf or something along those lines. And I ring the doorbell and there is no answer. The dad rage began, and then I rang the doorbell again, no answer. And then we have video doorbell cameras because I have a healthy distrust of everyone. And I, I looked into the video doorbell camera and just cut a monologue on my family about how when the, their father is outside risking his life to clear the sidewalk in the driveway, the least he could expect is someone to answer the door. And then I went out and I did a couple more swipes of the driveway and the snow is just pelting me in the face. And it's every moment in your life where you're just wondering, God, why don't you love me enough to call me to Honolulu? What is going on right now? <laughs> and I rang the doorbell again. And my wife answered the door this time. And she's like, do you need something? And I'm like, yeah, for someone in my family to answer the door. I did not handle this as well as I should have. And she looked at me, and she's like, would you like a scarf? And I'm like, what good's a scarf going to be? She's like, well, it would cover up the flesh that's exposed right now. I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. So then I got a scarf. And I was warm for about 15 seconds until I did another swipe, and then all the snow was coming and then getting stuck between the scarf and my face, and it was, it was just an absolutely miserable experience. And after I got done with the driveway, I came in the house, and I called a family meeting. And I didn't wait until after I'd showered and changed to call the family meeting. I called it right then, while I was still wet from sweat and the cold and the melted snow, and I was frustrated. And I went through again how when their father's outside risking his life for everyone, they should they should be a little quicker to at least answer the door to make sure that I wasn't dying outside. Because if you look at the studies, every winter people suffer heart attacks from clearing snow. And what if that was me? And my oldest son looks at me and he says, well, if it's so hard, why do you do it? Excuse me? I'm just like, this kid has a lot to learn. 
Part of me admires the question, because that's something I would have asked, but I can't let him know I admire the question. So I'm having this existential crisis within my soul right now, because I want to congratulate him, but I'm still in the dad fury, so I don't really know what to do in this instant. And then I explained to him, well, if we want to get in the driveway, we have to go out, and we have to clear it. Because ultimately, even though it's hard and unpleasant and not fun, ultimately, it provides the best path moving forward. We've seen God's plan and God's design for relationships. And here's the thing that every single one of us knows. Whether you've been married for 70 years or whether you were single hoping to one day be married. And that is this. Relationships, they're hard. They are not easy. They're difficult. And they're messy. And there's tension. And there's fights. And there's priorities that don't always align. But if we're willing to put in the work, and if we're willing to do it God's way, it will lead to the most fulfilling life imaginable. The past couple of weeks, we've looked at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and today we transition to a New Testament passage. So if, you're, if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning. In the Bible app, it's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And Once it's installed on your device, we utilize the events feature every week here at Lakeside. You can go to that within the Bible app and either enable your location or just write in Lakeside Community Church Algoma will pop up and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for watching. My name is Brian and I'm part of the team here at Lakeside. The verses will be available for you on the screen below as we dive in, in just a minute, to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church. It was a church in the town of Corinth. That's where we get 1 Corinthians, and there was more than one letter that the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, would write to the church in Corinth. So that's why it's 1 Corinthians. And in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking to them about conduct and things that are going on. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where we read these words. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now I know just here in that verse right now, some of you have just, you're done. You're done for the day, you're turning it off, and you're like, that, well, I don't agree with that. So I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm, yep, I'm out today. And, and if that's you, bear with me. Bear with me, because it's not saying what you think it's saying, so just bear with me. And understand, out of every question that the people at the church of Corinth had for the Apostle Paul, the biggest questions that they had were about their relationships. It's not just a new phenomena that there's conflict and there's trouble within our relationships. They've always been complicated. They've, they've, always, they've always brought up issues, and we see that here. And so as Paul now gets to answer their questions, he starts with this. 
It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What he is saying is it is good for people to remain single. Remember, in God's design, in God's plan, all sexual activity is reserved for marriage. And so when Paul says it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, what he's talking about is it's perfectly acceptable for people to remain single. Now you might be asking yourself, but wait a minute. I thought on day six, we saw that God said it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. So how can that align with this idea in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, that it is good for people to remain single? How do those two ideas go hand in hand? And to answer that question, there's a couple ways. First is this. The idea of companionship is a crucial component to God's creation. We see that in, in the creation accounts. We also see the creation accounts are before sin entered into the picture. They're before the, they're before the fall. And so the fall changes everything. It changes everything. It doesn't change God's ultimate plan, but it changes, it changes some of the aspects of how people go about things. Now, with the creation of Adam and Eve and the command for them to be fruitful and to multiply, we now have more and more people so that it is not a requirement that every person needs to be engaged in a relationship. And yet, the message of our culture is just the opposite. We have this bias towards people who are single. We see it by the, just the explosion of, of dating apps, of dating shows. It's just, in, it's just ingrained in our culture. And that idea that we don't, we don't oftentimes articulate it, the idea is if you are single, there's something wrong with you. And I want you to know, if you are here today, and you are single, there is not something wrong with you. You are enough as a person. You do not have to force yourself into a relationship. And if you think that finding a relationship is going to be the answer to all of your problems... You're wrong. And what you end up chasing after is not going to bring ultimate fulfillment. It's not going to bring ultimate fulfillment. And what's even worse is that this message and this idea has crept in amongst people of faith. So that when those of us who are older and we're married and, and, and we see somebody who's younger and, we, and single, what happens? We start to think, well, i got to be eHarmony. Or i got to be Bumble for them. And I, it's my responsibility to match them up. And hey, I know this other person who's single. Now, I don't know any of their interests. I don't know what they like. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know any of your interests. I don't know what you like. I don't know what you're looking for. But you're single and they're single, so you got Yeah? Huh? What do you think? And you're like, No! No, I didn't get married until I was 27 years old, which isn't that old at all, unless you grow up in the Midwest and go to a Christian school. And then everybody's like, wait, you're 23 and not married? What's wrong with you? Oh, well, I need to hook you up with someone. You're like, no, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. No, you really need to, you really need to meet her. And I'm like, no, I really don't. I'm all right. Thanks. 
So I'm begging you, if you know people who are single, resist the urge. If they ask for your help, then help them. But you do not have to be their matchmaker. And if you're single and you are content in your singleness, there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all wrong with that. And if you aren't content with your singleness, then something you need to remember is this. It is always better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. No married people say amen, all right? No married people say amen right now. (laughs) But it is always better, always better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. It's just going to be a better life for you. I promise that. But being single is a perfectly acceptable state of life. He goes on to verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So singleness is great, but it's not for everyone. And he says, understand this. Sex is a gift given to us by God. Sex is a gift given to us by God, and so we can embrace the way that we're designed. But it's important that we operate within the design of the Creator. Each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. That is the design of the Creator. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Husband. Now, have you ever woken up in the morning and just known, I'm about to offend somebody or tick somebody off? Because that's how I woke up this morning. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is not me. I mean, you can be mad at me, and that's fine. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. But this is not my opinion. This is not what I'm saying. This is Scripture. And when we hold that all Scripture comes from God, it, through he inspired human authors, but he is the ultimate source. And so I'm going to read this again. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. What are rights? That which is owed. A debt. Dues. Sex is not a bargaining chip. Sex is not, well, if you do all of this, then I will reward you. That is not God's design and that is not God's plan. That's not how it works. And if you're a little bothered right now, Buckle up, because we're about to go to verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. You want to talk about countercultural? It doesn't get more countercultural than this. That sex is a right that I don't own my own body, but somebody else owns my body? What in the world? 
Why would God want this? Why would God design it this way? And what's the purpose? The purpose is that we completely give of ourselves. We completely give of ourselves completely to another. And as we saw last week in Genesis chapter 2, what is the benefit when we follow God's plan that we have complete intimacy? That we are completely vulnerable. That we can be together without any semblance of shame. That is the benefit, and that is the gift that God offers us if we will do it His way. And now here we get to these verses, and it's telling us we must give of ourselves completely to another. Which means as we move forward in God's design, our pleasure is not what's paramount. But it's the pleasure of our partner. That is ultimately what is paramount. And when we look that way, and when we function that way, it doesn't leave room for abuse. It doesn't leave room for misuse of this. And certainly, if you have ever been in a situation where you have been abused, this is going to be hard for you to fathom. And yet, when we look at this, this is not God setting up some abusive system where everybody must be subservient to the wishes and desires of another. But what we see is that God sets up something that is beautiful where you give of yourself completely and totally to another person. That there is no room for abuse in this dynamic. He goes on, do not deprive one another except for perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The reality is this, God didn't design sexless marriages. That is not part of God's design. And Paul says, hey, if there's going to be a dry spell, well then, Here's what it needs to be. It needs to be short, and it needs to be spiritual. That's it. It needs to be short, and it needs to be spiritual. It needs to be people that come together, and they, you agree on this. Why? Because you're completely giving of yourself to another person. That's God's design. And if there's going to be an interruption in that, then it needs to be short, which is agreed upon, and it needs to be spiritual. And yet, what do we see over and over and over again? That we fail to do this. That we fail to do this. And what happens when we fail to do this is tension arrives and divorce enters the horizon. And so there's problems. And what are some of the frequent problems that we see? One spouse. One spouse is the ultimate determining factor of, of when it's going to occur. One spouse makes all the decisions on the frequency of sexual activity. Next is that sex, because of everything else going on in your relationship, it isn't a priority. You're, you're too busy. You're, you're focused on other things. 
And when it's no longer a priority in the relationship for one member of that relationship, then there's an imbalance. We, we see that sometimes it's used as a weapon or as a reward. That I'm going to use it to get what I want. And if I don't get what I want, you're not going to get what you want. We see that it's not happening. 15 to 20% of marriages haven't been intimate in 6 to 12 months. It's 1 in 6 to 1 in 5 marriages. Haven't been intimate in a year. We see porn addiction just exploding. Just exploding. The average age of first exposure to porn is now 12. 12 years old. You don't even have to go looking for it. It will come find you. And especially in an adolescent mind, there's all kinds of questions. There's uncertainty and there's already shame around puberty and around sex anyways. My, my oldest son's in fifth grade. So he's in the midst right now of the the body-changing series at school, which I love to ask him questions about, and he hates that I ask him questions about. And then you throw in that many of his classmates have phones and tablets. My goal is that he's going to be the last kid in his class to have a phone or a tablet. And then you bring that addiction into a relationship. And all of a sudden you're like, well, hey, your body's my body, and this is what I want. And you're, the other body's like, we're not trying that. And you're like, whoa. Tension. Trouble. Comparisons. Previous partners. Your spouse doesn't make you feel the way that, that somebody else did. And then there's all those thoughts. Infidelity. These are all the things that we constantly see. And every single one of them can be avoided. If we'd follow God's plan. That I give myself, my desires, completely to another, my spouse. And God calls our spouse to do the very same thing for us. And the problem is, we're selfish people. I want what I want when I want it. And the problem of every relationship is that at the core, we have a selfish person who married a selfish person. You don't have to tell your spouse they're selfish. I just did. You're welcome. I'll take the hit for you. That's who we are at our core. And God's design is that we would become selfless. 
I give my desire, I give my body, I give my every aspect of me completely to another. And she does the same for me. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish all were as myself, as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul says, hey, it's easier if you're single. It's easier if you are single. When you're single, you know who you need to worry about making happy? You. When you're married, you know who you have to make happy? The person you're taking to dinner that you've asked 14 times where they want to go to dinner, and they won't tell you where they want to go to dinner, but then when you say, hey, let's go here for dinner, they say, I'm not really in the mood for that. That's what you're inviting. I'm not speaking from experience, purely hypothetical. That's what you're inviting when you're married. Let's just be honest about it. Marriage is hard. And the reason it's hard is because every day, a little part of me has to die to the things I want if I'm doing it right. It can't just be, well, I want this. I want this. I want this. And then you, many relationships throw kids on top of that. Or because of circumstances in life and situations, stepkids on top of that. Now you are trying to, to parent a kid who's confused and who's uncertain and got angst and anxiety and, and you've got to figure out that dynamic in that role. So you're not only giving yourself to your spouse, but, but now the demands on your time increase. Life's easier if you're single. At the end of the day, what you have to worry about is, what do I want to do? And I recognize there's some days, even if you're single, you don't want to live with yourself because you're like, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm miserable, but I don't have anybody to blame for my misery. I mean, that makes it a little more complicated sometimes, where at least if you're married, you can blame somebody else for your misery. Even if it's not really their fault, at least you've got that outlet that feels good in the moment. Shouldn't do that, by the way. But, you know, if you're single... You don't really have that, but 99% of the time, life is easier. And so if you're single, again, I want to tell you, if you're content, stay single. It's the easier path. And there's nothing wrong with you being single.
To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Singleness is a blessing. There isn't something wrong with you. But if you're single and you want to be married, there's nothing wrong with that either. And if you're married, there's nothing wrong with that. It's also perfectly fine. He says, in fact, it's better to get married than to just burn with passion. So, for those who are married and those who want to be married, here's what God has called us to do. God has called us to give of ourselves. Not just a little bit. Not just in some circumstances, not just in some situations. He has asked us to give completely of ourselves to another. And the blessing and the benefit when we do that is we will have full intimacy. We will fully be seen and known and understood and loved. It doesn't get better than that. But if we're going to get there, we've got to follow God's plan. And God's plan requires us to completely give of our selves in every area and in every aspect and sex is a picture of that where we completely give our bodies to another the reality is this in your relationships your sexual life will either be a sanctuary and a safety for your relationship or it will be a separation. I have never walked with a couple through a divorce who raved about their sex life. Never. Not once. I've been in ministry now for 20 years. Not once have I walked through a, a divorce with a couple who was content. Does that mean that the relationship can be built on sex alone? No. It doesn't. But it will bring you together. When you give of yourself fully and completely to another, it reminds you of God's plan and his design. And there are a number of things that will attack that 
but God's plan and his purpose is that we would completely give ourselves to the one we pledged our life to and we would receive the same thing. That is God's design. God, I pray that you would help us love love our spouse completely. Give of ourself entirely. God, I, I pray I pray for the people that have been victimized suffered horrible things been treated in ways no one should be treated God I pray that they can heal I pray for their partners as well God that you would give them more patience and understanding and empathy God, together that they could process. I pray, God, that you would help the husbands in this place love their wives in the way that you have designed and called them to love their wives. I pray that you'd help the wives in this place love their husbands in the way that you have called them to love their husbands and designed them to love their husbands. pray, God, that we would give of ourselves. Completely to another. And we'd follow your plan and your design. I pray for the people here who are single. I pray for those who are content in their singleness. And God, I pray that they wouldn't believe the lies of our culture, that they're not complete or that there's something wrong with them. And I pray for the single people here who want to be in a relationship, who want to be married. And God, I pray that they wouldn't rush it. I pray they'd get it right. And I pray in your perfect timing and in your perfect plan, you would lead people together who love each other, love you, and build relationships that are strong. you designed them to be. Help us love one another. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.